If you'd open up your Bibles to First Thessalonians chapter 3, please. You ever seen those, uh, you go to the bookstore or, or there's a, these yellow paperbacks and it says computer for dummies, okay, or mechanics for dummies, something like that. This is prayer 101. Not that it's prayer for dummies, uh, but the point is that Paul is, is he's concluding this first section. Chapters 1 to 3 has, has his personal reflections on his ministry there at Thessalonica. And he's comes to the end, he's going to offer this prayer. Now, the chapter, as you look at the chapter, kind of give you an overview of that, uh, one of the key words in the chapter is establish. It simply means to fix, uh, to make fast. It's like securing a boat to the dock. Uh, it's to stabilize, secure, to establish you. In verse 2, it says, establish you and encourage you concerning your faith. Verse 13, establish your hearts blameless in holiness to be fixed, okay, to be stabilized, secure. Also, as you look in verse, then the key verse is verse 8. Verse 8 says, for now we live if you stand fast in the Lord. It's kind of a funny verse, but let me, let me just give a couple comments on it. Now we, we live. It's not, that, it's not that their life is dependent upon the Thessalonians' life or Theth- Thessalonica believers' beliefs. It's, the point is that because as a spiritual father to them, this is, uh, well, let me use this illustration, as an as a earthly father, it is encouraging to us to see our children experience life. It's, it's encouragement to us to see the joys of life uh, that they are fulfilling or they are carrying out. It was uh, when we got the news that our daughter had, the baby was born. Well, it's a joy to us to see the joy that they had. It's, it's their joy pumps us up. Well, that's basically what Paul's saying for your faith, your life in Christ, it, it, it's our life. We're sharing in that. Your excitement makes me excited and, and joyful. So he says, for now we live. Uh, the word if in English, that's a uh, maybe, or it's a hesitation or possibly doubt. But in the Greek, it, it, and, and, and as far as the English goes, it may be better translated since. But in the Greek, it's rather a strong confidence. For now we live since, with strong confidence, you stand fast in the Lord. That you stand fast, that you, which is a military term, to hold your position. Uh, the present tense means constant, continuous action. To be proactive, not reactive. So for now we live, where excitement, our joy is... Our joy and excitement is because of what we see happening in your lives. Since that is true, uh, we want to encourage you that you stand fast. Don't retreat. Don't fall back. This Go forward. Keep moving forward. Because uh, we get this idea of stand fast. Okay, I'm standing and I'm not moving. But because of the present tense, it's continuous action of standing fast. As well we see in other scriptures where it talks about the, our walk of faith. The progress is being made. So... Key word established. Key verse, verse 8, which brings us then to the chapter itself. Or how did he help them, want to help them, assist them in standing fast? In, verses, in the first five verses, he sends Timothy. 
We have, we have prayed, for instance, for our children, we have prayed that God would bring a godly Christian friend. Someone that has a personal, spiritual influence upon them. Maybe accountability. Maybe to challenge them. And, and so he sends to the church at Thessalonica, he sends Timothy, his co-worker, because he wants to help establish them in their faith. The second thing we see in verses 6 to 8, he writes a letter. In fact, he wrote two letters, 1 Thessalonians and 2 Thessalonians. He may have written more, but these are the two that we know of. He communicated with them personally. He not only sent a personal representative to Timothy, but he communicated with them personally. And the last thing, which is the end of the chapter here, he prayed for them. The, the point I want to get at here is this. How can you pray for the person to your right and your left? How can you pray for each other? How can you pray for me? How can I pray for you? And so I, that's why I've titled this The Effective Prayer 101. This is how you can pray effectively for the person on your right and for the person on your left. Do you know their name? Because as we talk about and look at the scripture here, there's, there's some very basic, just basic things that you can pray for. It just so happens on my right this morning was Andrew. And as I think on, on my right and as I think on my left, I, I think, okay, this is who I need to pray for. I need to pray for Andrew and I need to pray for Philip. These are my co-workers. But this is how I can pray for them. Now, there's lots of things I pray for them. But specifically, as we draw out from this text, how we can pray for fellow believers, how we can pray for one another. First of all, in verse 9, effective prayer will be thankful to God. Look at verse 9. For what thanks can we render? Uh, This is, by the way, this is not hesitation. This is enthusiastic excitement. But what thanks can we offer to God for you for all day, or for all the joy with which we rejoice for your sake before our God? This is, Paul is not, he's not somber, sitting down, a long face, and boy, I wonder how I can pray for these guys. No, he's excited about this. He, He is enthusiastic. For what thanks can we render to God for you? For all the joy in, 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 with which we rejoice for your sake before our God. In verse, if you look back, there's three prayers in the first three chapters. Chapter 1, verse 2, he, he begins, we give thanks to God always. In chapter 2, verse 13, we thank God without ceasing. In chapter 3, then, verse 9, we, and for what thanks can we give? Thanksgiving and thankfulness for believers. For each other. Thanksgiving is, is, and thankfulness is be very much a part of our prayer life anyway. Back in First Thessalonians 5 verse 18. In, in the book here, First Thessalonians 5 18. In everything give thanks. In everything give thanks. We're to give thanks anyway for everything. You mean, you mean Pastor Ken, thank you for the car accident? It says everything. I, that's all I can say. Uh, thank you for the illness. It says everything. Now, thank you for the million-dollar inheritance I just received. It does say everything. Now, by the way, I didn't receive a million-dollar inheritance. Don't get that idea. But in everything, give thanks. It's to be part of our DNA, to be thankful, to be a thankful people. 
In Philippians chapter 4, verse 6, he says, be an- talking about prayer again, be anxious for nothing but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Thanksgiving is to be part, part of our prayer life anyway. In Psalm chapter 100, verse 4, it says, enter into his gates with thanksgiving. As we, as we come before God, as we come in, 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 in before God in prayer, we're to come with an attitude and a spirit of thankfulness and thanksgiving to, very, to, to begin with. So specifically, be thankful for what he's done. What has he done? Grace. He has extended to us, to us grace. He has given to us what we do not deserve. He's given us his son to die on the cross for our sins that we could have eternal life. For what he's done, the king of glory has extended to us grace. Secondly, thankful for the Thessalonians' life-changing response. Not just for his, God's grace, God's message of grace, God's sending his son. Not just thankful for what God has done, but he was thankful for these believers at Thessalonica who responded to that message of grace and their life has been changed. As you pray for the person to your right and the person to your left, be thankful for the grace of God, the gospel, the message of God, what God has done. But also thank God for their putting their faith and trust in that very message. Now, you may need to ask the question, and you may need to have a personal conversation with them. Are they saved? That's going to take time. It's going to take an investment of time. It's going to take building a relationship. But you need to ask that question. And if you do know they're saved, then this prayer is very appropriate. If they're, if they're not saved, you need to add a little bit to that, that they indeed will come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. But in this case... Paul was thankful for the Thessalonians' response to the life-changing message of grace. Thankfulness. So effective prayer will be thankful. It's it's part of our DNA of our our prayer life is to be thankful. Second thing, there in verse 10. Effective prayer will be persistent. Verse 10 says, "And, and... uh, before our God, night and day. Praying night and day. And back in chapter 2, verse 9, nine he says, they were laboring night and day. The point of this is, it's impossible for you to labor night and day. You would die. You would wear yourself out. So, yes, it's impossible to pray night and day. The point of night, this phrase, night and day, it was not occasional. It was not sporadic. But he was consistent, whether it be by night in his waking moments, or by day, in his working moments, he was thanking God for his uh, work. He was thanking God for the Thessalonians' response. He was persistent in his prayer. First Thessalonians 5, verse 17, very familiar first to you, verse 2, says, pray without ceasing. Any place, any time, about anything... I came across this this quote. If it matters to you, it matters to him. Pray without ceasing. If it matters to you, then it does matter to him because he loves you. He wants to see you succeed. He wants to see you grow. He wants to see you change. And if it matters to you, it matters to him. 
Pray without ceasing, any place, any time, about anything. We have the example of, in Luke chapter 18, the parable of the, pers- the persistent widow. Then he spoke a parable to them that, that men always ought to pray and not lose heart, saying, There was a certain city, a judge who did not fear God nor regard man. Now there was a widow in that city, in this, and she came to him, saying, Get justice for me from my, from my adversary. And he would not for a while. But afterward he said within himself, Though I do not fear God nor regard man, yet because this widow troubles me, I will avenge her, lest by her continual coming she weary me. And then verse 6. Then the Lord said, Hear what the unjust judge said. And shall God not avenge his own elect who cry out day and night to him? Persistent. Effective prayer will be persistent. It's not just once a one time or once upon a time. This is real life. Day and night to pray for that person on your left. That person on your right. Effective, effective prayer. Be persistent. Not sporadic or occasional. It's a habitual behavior pattern that you follow. The next one. Effective prayer will be passionate. Effective prayer will be passionate. There in verse 10. And he says, day and night, or night and day praying exceedingly. The word exceedingly can also be translated earnestly. It's a combination of spontaneous exuberance with thoughtful intentionality or intensity. It's a, it's a prayer that engages the head and the heart. James 5.16 says, reminds us that the effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. John Bunyan said it this way, When you pray, it is better to let your heart be without words than your words be without heart. This is to engage your, your head and your heart. You're thinking through what exactly words you want to use but you're trying to engage your heart in the passion, the energy that the Spirit of God would give you to say specific words. How to pray. What to pray. To find out what are the specific struggles is that person having. It engages your head and your heart. We can all sit here and just rip off a prayer of, bless the food, amen as opposed to, thank you for your provisions, God. Help us not to take them for granted. And even your patience with us as we come to enjoy this meal of refreshment. You're engaging your head and your heart. You're thinking, how God, you're thinking provisions. You're thinking through exactly the words you want to say. Because what if no one else was listening? Because we're not praying for them or to them. We're praying to God, and he's listening. Prayer, not only will be persistent, but it will be passionate to engage your head and your heart. It will be personal. The desire for a face-to-face meeting, the desire to talk about the practical application of Scripture to life experience. I know that's a little long, but that's the point here. Effective prayer will be personal, that we may see your face. Now, he expressed a personal desire back in verse 6. He brings his request now here in verse 10. 
But all of that is precedent upon a personal relationship that he had begun when he was there. And, and if you think of it this way, he was only there three to five weeks. He was there a very short window of time. And yet, in that short window of time, he had invested his time and his life in these believers' lives. And he invested that time in such a way that he knew them and they knew him. Effective prayer will be personal. The desire to, for a face-to-face meeting, that's, that's relational. A desire to talk about the practical application of Scripture to life experience. That's life-changing. It's not just personal, but it's life-changing. So effective prayer will be passionate. Effective prayer will be personal. Effective prayer will be specific. He says there in, in verse 10, that you would be perfect, or perfect, I'm sorry, that you would perfect what is lacking. He had just commended them in chapter 1 for their labor of love, their work of faith, and their patience of hope. We, when we preached through that passage, we looked at it and said, you know, basically that's the ideal church. That, that, that is the ideal church. But, so why is Paul coming here? Because the point is, it's, it, it is on our part uh, both arrogant and ignorant to think that I have arrived. And so he comes and said, and these three specific things, he's praying that they would build into their lives, that they would be strengthened because they're not complete yet. The word perfect means to fit together, to complete, to experience spiritual growth. Uh, it's the idea of mending broken net, uh, nets. Uh, when I was in ninth grade, I was playing, I was in a football scrimmage, and I was getting, I was pushing up from the ground to get up from the ground. Another lineman came and uh, fell across my arm and it broke my arm, was at a, like a, almost at a right angle. And I, I remember getting up and feeling real queasy in my stomach. And I'm going like, I went to the other one of the guys and said, I think there's something wrong with my arm. And he said, you know, you need to take that to the coach. I remember we went over to the coach and, and uh, I went over to the playground, sat down on one of the, uh, I think the slide, because I was getting weak need. So they took me to doctor. This is back in the old, old, old days when we had the family doctor. I mean, the, the town doctor, he lived two blocks away. You know, every, he knew everybody in town, and he knew everybody, and he just walked in and, come on in. And so we went in, and the coach pulled, held onto my elbow. The doctor took x-rays, and then he, he the whole coach held on. The doctor pulled, kind of felt it. No surgery, no pins, all, of, all the bad stuff, right, and felt it. I think it's good. Took an x-ray. Sure enough, it was good. I, the only thing is I can't hold my wrist up. No, I'm just kidding. I can hold up fine. <laughs> That's what perfect is. My arm isn't perfect. There always will be, if you x-ray my arm, you always can see where it was broken. But it's the mending. It's the fixing. And what he's saying, saying here is, as he prays, uh, being specific, he said, there's still some area of growth that needs to take place. If, if to leave my arm in that condition would have been obviously gross, difficult to find a shirt, long sleeve, but, things, but, the, but the point is, it needed to be fixed. And so Paul's saying, yes, you know, you've come a long way. But we still have a long way to go. And so his prayer is specific. Specifically these three things. Verse 10. 
that their faith would continue to mature. Romans 17, 17 says, The righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. There's saving faith. That's where it all begins. And there's living faith. That's Hebrews chapter 11, where they put their faith into practice. Abel's, Abraham's journey of faith. If you, those of you who know your scripture, Genesis chapter 12, Abraham is called. His journey of faith is chronicled for us from Genesis chapter 12 to Genesis chapter 22. There's 10 chapters. There's uh, probably close to, I want to say close to 70 or 80 years that take, take place in that time span from Genesis 12 to Genesis 22. Genesis 12 is called, Genesis 22, God calls him and says, I want, to I want you to sacrifice your son of promise. And Abraham, to use the English translation, said, okay, your wish is my command. That journey of faith from Genesis 12 to Genesis 22, to get him from Genesis 12 to 22, there were several series of things that happened. That's the journey of faith. You and I are on a journey of faith. And as we look at from 12 to 22 and those different experiences that Abraham went through, his faith was constantly and continually tested. And as it was tested, it grew. It matured. If you are willing and brave enough to pray that God would increase your faith, I can promise you, you're going to be tested. You will be tested. Your faith will be tested as you travel that journey, that, that road of, of growth. You're going to be tested. So he prays that their faith would continue to mature. Verse 12, that their love would abound. And may the Lord make you increase and abound in love to... And see, it's a specific direction here. Well, then I would abound in love. Okay, so I'm just a loving person. But he says, to one another. To what? To one another. That you would mature, that your love would abound in love to one another and to all. Yes, that unsaved mechanic that works on your car, that every other word is foul. A love to all, that you would abound in your love to one another and to all. It doesn't mean you have to accept what they're saying. You don't accept their lifestyle, but you extend your love to them. And the greatest way you can extend your love to them is to share the gospel with them. That your love may abound. To be full, to be overflowing, to be mutual, one another, to reach out to all men. A man by the name of Hebert put it this way. It is one thing in the Christian life that cannot be carried to excess. Did you catch that? Love is one thing in the Christian life that cannot be carried to excess. You cannot love enough. That's what he's saying. You cannot love enough. Love ever gives, forgives, outlives, and ever stands with open hands. For while it lives, it gives, and while it gives, it lives. And this is love's prerogative, to give and give and give. First Corinthians chapter 13, verses 48, I often read at weddings, even in marriage counseling, I will share this with a couple. Love is patient. Love is kind. It is not envious. Love does not brag. It is not puffed up. It's not rude. It's not self-serving. It's not easily angered or resentful. 
It's not glad about injustice, but rejoices in truth. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Why? Because love never ends. You can never have enough love. You can never extend and show enough love. You cannot have, exceed the overflowing, the overabundance of love. Warren Worsby shared this example in his premarital counseling tip. He often will ask the prospective husband, if your wife became paralyzed three weeks after you were married, do you love her enough to stay with her and care for her the rest of your married life? How deep is your love? How excessive is your love? How abounding is your love? And so Paul prays for them, and he's very specific, that their love would abound toward one another and toward all men. The third thing he prays, he prays for their holiness. He says that their holiness would be established. Verse 13, so that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father. Holiness, of course, is separated from sin, or separated from the world, the flesh, the devil. Set apart as belonging exclusively to a holy God. Holiness. Established, again, firm, solid, stand fast, stabilized, secure. I think it's interesting. I hope you call all that. But I think it's interesting what he didn't pray for. He didn't pray that their suffering would end. Because they were under grievous trials and tribulations back in Thessalonica. He didn't pray for their happiness. Think about it. Here I am to be praying to the person to my right and to my left, and I'm to be praying for their holiness. I'm to be praying for their, that their love would abound. I'm to be praying that their faith would continue to mature. Very specific. Nothing about their holiness, happiness. Nothing about suffering. Nothing about those things. But as Paul directed his prayer, he's very specific. Holiness is to be a way of life. Then verse 11. Effective prayer will be submissive. It says now, in verse 11, it says, Now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus Christ direct our way to you. What do you, what do you mean, Pastor Ken, submissive? What do you, basically what he's saying here is, Lord, your will. If it's your will for, to direct my steps to be with these people, then you make it possible. See, effective prayer is going to be submissive. We're submitting ourselves. We, we make our requests. We are specific in our requests. We are thankful. But we still come back to this. If you will, Lord, if this is your will, if this is what you want. Ultimately, God is still in charge. Paul desired to come, but only when God so directed. I came across this little quote. If the request is wrong, God says no. Isn't that true? If the timing's wrong, God says, go slow. If you're wrong, that's never happened. Sure it has. If you're wrong, God says, you need to grow. If the request is right, the timing's right, and you're right, God says go. See, I'm submitting to his control, his direction. Proverbs 16, verse 9, The mind of man plans his way, but the Lord determines his steps. Proverbs 20, 20, verse 24, A man's steps are determined by the Lord. 
Psalm 37, verse 23. The steps of a man are established by the Lord, and he delights in his way. Ultimately, Scott's still in control. Sometimes he says no. Sometimes he says go slow. You need to grow, possibly. Or go. Let me conclude with this last. Effective Prayer 101. Here's the thing. All right? We may never know until we get to glory from how much evil we have been spared or how much temptation we have have conquered, all because someone prayed for us. You think about it. This week, even beginning today, praying for the person to your right and to your left. That also means that somebody's praying for you. That God would spare you. That God protect you. But also that you would grow in love, and faith, and holiness. Expressing their thankfulness for the gospel, but also for the thankfulness of your response to the gospel. They're engaging their head and their heart. As they focus on God working in you. Effective Prayer 101. We have, my wife and I have talked about this many times. We both come from a, a spiritual heritage, a godly heritage. And wondering and thinking, grandparents even, how much they prayed for us even though they never knew us. We think about how often we have prayed already for our grandchildren, even for this new baby, that they would come to an early age of knowing Christ as their Savior that God would help their parents to do better than they know how and bring them up in the admonition and nurture of the Lord. That they will be discipled. I was thinking back. My grandfather died at 62. I have a picture of me sitting in his lap. I never knew him. But yet he, he, has a, he himself has a godly heritage. Wondering, wonder what he prayed for me. I wonder what he thought of me. We have, we have an incredible opportunity to model our prayer life for one another after how Paul prayed for these believers at Thessalonica. May our faith mature and our love abound and our holiness indeed be holy as we go forth. Father, we pray even as we come in to close our service now, we just thank you so much for the pleasure of being able to look at the word, be challenged by the word. Indeed, Lord, I pray that we will even today be thinking, be praying for our fellow church members that indeed, Lord, our love may abound, that our faith will mature, and that our holiness will truly be holy, that it will be a way of life. Father, we thank you, God, for the gospel. We thank you for those individuals who are here this morning, and, and Lord, there are many that have embraced and responded to the, the life-changing message. God, I pray as we go forward, not only as a believer, as an individual, but as a church together, that your name be exalted and glorified. With heads bowed and eyes closed and no one looking around, if you're here this morning and you do not know Christ 
as your personal Savior, but you would like to respond to the gospel. You would like to have someone show you from the Word of God how to be saved. Is there anyone like that? Secondly, say, Pastor Ken, would you, would you just pray for me? Pray for me in my prayer life. Pray for me in love and faith and holiness. Is there anyone like that? Any others? Thank you, God. You know the hearts, and we, we are so thankful that you do know our hearts. Not just our imperfections, but you do know our desires. God, I pray that you light a fire under our desires to be uh, more and more.